What is the purpose of an oath? Why does God make them? And how can we be sure that we can trust in them? We're going to talk about that today and more on BibleStudyPodcasts.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Today is Monday, July the 25th of 2011, and I'm your host, Toby Logsdon. God bless you guys, and thank you so much, as always, for joining us today. I've said it before, I'll say it again, I know that you guys have a choice to make when it comes to what you listen to, and we sure do feel blessed that you have chosen to listen to us today, uh, as we are going to be uh, talking about Romans chapter 14, verse verses 11 and 12. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 14. We'll get started with those verses here in just a minute. But I do have kind of an important announcement to make with you guys, something that really excited me anyway. Uh, And that is over a weekend, I was contacted by a, a Christian internet radio station. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys listen to internet radio stations. I'm familiar with a few of them. I know that there are some major atheist organizations that have internet radio stations. Uh, But yeah, there are Christian radio stations on the internet as well. And one of them contacted me over the weekend and asked if they could start featuring uh, our Romans studies every weekday, Monday through Friday, on their uh, on their radio station. And man, what uh, man, it, it just kind of blindsided me. It was, it was a surprise, uh, and it's also just um, an enormous honor to even be asked something like that. Uh, unfortunately, that means that they have to start back all the way at chapter one, which we started four and a half years ago. Can you believe that? Four and a half years ago? Uh, And honestly, (laughs) I was discussing this with with, uh, some of you um, on my my Facebook page that when I go back and I listen to the older lessons from when we first started doing the podcasts, uh, it's a little bit embarrassing for me if I'm being honest. Um, And that's, uh, you know, I'm I'm not trying to say that there's no value there, but um, honestly, God has really used the podcast, the ministry that, that he's appointed me to here as a way of really growing me as a teacher. And I'm a lot different today than I was four and a half years ago. Thankfully, praise God. I mean, uh, he's really grown me and my ability to teach, I think, over these last four and a half years. And so, yeah, it's a little bit embarrassing for me to go back and listen to those uh, those first few lessons that we did. But you know, it is what it is, and God gets the glory here because uh, for some reason, four and a half years ago, people started listening to me, and uh, I, you know, it, it's not because I was all that good or I was all that interesting, it's because God was doing something uh, through my obedience to him, I guess. But um, anyway, yeah, neat opportunity for um, for our ministry here to uh, to join with this uh, internet radio station. And of course, when all of that becomes uh, finalized, I'll let you guys know uh, what that uh, when that is, um, and I'll let you know what uh, you have to do in order to listen to it. But uh, yeah, 
I would appreciate your prayers. I, I believe that this is something that's legitimate because uh, the guy that contacted me isn't asking for money. He said, you know, this isn't something that you need to pay for or anything like that. I just want permission to put your stuff on there. So I'm, I'm, I'm positive that it's legitimate. So I would really appreciate your prayers, uh, not only for, for me and for this ministry that we've got, but also for this, uh, this internet Christian radio station that's going to be featuring our lessons. Praise the Lord. Uh, to Him be the glory, right? Anyway, well, let's go ahead and get started with our lesson today with a quick word of prayer. God, we just want to come before you today and thank you for who you are. We thank you, God, that you have looked at us and seen us in our sinful state. And despite our sin, despite our rebellion, God, you loved us. You called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And so, God, I just pray that today you would teach us to walk in your light walk with you more strongly, walk with you with more conviction, and to live lives that are characterized by grace. May this lesson glorify you, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, what is it that makes someone's word believable? What makes their word believable? I mean, I'm sure that we've all encountered a situation at some point or another in our lives in which doubt was, you know, kind of cast in our minds over whether we should or shouldn't take somebody's word seriously. You know, are they, are they making a promise that they really plan on following through with? Or, you know, maybe you've just been in a situation where you wanted to make a promise to someone, but people uh, weren't sure if they could trust or believe you. Have you ever been in a situation like that? And how how did you respond in that situation? Think about that for a second. Or how would you respond if you were put in a situation today in which you wanted to give someone the assurance of simply knowing that they can relax because you're making a promise that you have every intention and capability of carrying out? Well, this is kind of interesting. Something that appears to be almost instinctive given the fact that you can find this custom, I guess you would call it, in just about any culture throughout the history of the world is to swear by something, to make an oath of some sort, or maybe a vow is what you would call it. According to the Standard Dictionary of Folklore, Mythology, and Legend, quote, the deplorable fact that many of us have reason to doubt most of the things that are said to us, and the further fact that this situation seems to have obtained since the very beginning of time has led to the elaborate checks of evidence known to law enforcement officers and lawyers. Policemen test truth by the ordeal. Lawyers check it by the legal oath, which, if violated, subjects the perjurer to lengthy incarceration, end quote. And of course, this is the explanation for the prevalence of oaths or swearing by something or, or vows, not only in our culture, but in nearly every culture around the world, ever. I mean, think about it. How many of you, when you were younger, were, were taught to sing this little song that goes something like, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, which was just kind of maybe another way of saying, I promise I'm telling the truth, right? <laughs> and as you got older, maybe you learned a different version of the same type of song where you'd say, you know, I, I, I swear on my grandmother's grave, uh, which isn't as cute as the other one, but it's the same the same thing, Right. Well, I always find it somewhat disturbing, you know, when I'm watching uh, a law enforcement reality show like Cops or, you know, something like that, and the perpetrator is yelling at the law enforcement officials, I swear to God, I didn't do it. And the disturbing aspect, of course, is that they're taking this, uh, this oath, this, this, uh, this saying 
where they're using the name of God. They're taking it lightly. And the fact is that they did do it. And there's not a whole lot that they could do to hope to cover it up uh, or to cover up their guilt. And so what do they do? They swear to God. They use God's name in vain. They take it that lightly. And so, yeah, that's, that's pretty disturbing. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing inherently wrong with taking an oath. I don't believe there's anything wrong with swearing to God, as long as the person is taking that oath as seriously as they possibly can. I mean, this is something that anyone who testifies in a court of law, uh, at least in the United States, has been required to do for centuries. You know, they place one hand on the Bible and they have to recite the, the famous saying, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. That's basically the same as, as swearing to God, right? But they're saying it in all seriousness. It's something that they're not taking lightly, at least ideally. Now, the person who follows up a statement or a promise with, uh, with an oath, like, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, or I swear on my grandmother's grave, appeals to things like that, almost like someone who wants to make an offer on a home uh, doesn't just want to make an offer, rather they want to make an offer plus they want to include something that we would call earnest money uh, as a means of demonstrating that they're completely serious. Uh, When you sell a house or when you buy a house, the buyer puts down earnest money to say, hey, I'm not just giving you an offer just to, to see what happens with it. I'm being serious. The oath, likewise, is really an appeal to something more important than or greater than one's self. The reality is that the oath is necessary because we know that people often lie. In the previous verse here in our study of Romans, back in verse 10, uh, we saw that Paul had given a final ultimate reason that we should avoid being judgmental of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That being that we will all have to stand before the Bema judgment seat of Christ and give an account for what we've done in our lives. Now remember, the Bema judgment is a judgment for those who follow Jesus. It's not for unbelievers. The Bema judgment isn't a place of condemnation. Rather, the Bema judgment seat is where rewards will be given for the faithfulness of followers of Jesus in this life, and rewards will be forever lost for unfaithfulness. And so thus, we don't need to judge our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can judge their actions, and if they're in sin, we should correct them lovingly. Uh, If they're in error, we should correct their error lovingly. But when it comes to matters of opinion on non-essential issues, we should be content oftentimes, to agree to disagree because really it's more important that we demonstrate love for and unity with one another than it is that we prove ourselves to be correct in areas of Christian doctrine and Christian living, which are kind of up for debate. Now, Paul wants us to know that we're talking about some very, very serious business when we're talking about the beam of judgment of believers. How does he know that it's serious business? Because God told us that it's serious business, right? In fact, God made an oath to himself to show that it's serious business. And so Paul's going to paraphrase a quote from Isaiah chapter 45, uh, verse 23, as he writes in the next two verses here in Romans chapter uh, 14, verses 11 and 12. He writes, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then... Each one of us will give an account of himself to God. 
Now take a moment, if, if you have a second here, to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23, where we read the full uh, non-paraphrased quote from God through the prophet Isaiah. And here we read, I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow, every tongue will swear. Now on a side note, some of your translations will say every tongue will swear allegiance. That's what the NASB translation says, for example. However, you should notice that the word allegiance is actually in italics, which means that it's a word that wasn't actually there in the Hebrew. Rather, it's a, it's a word that the translators have inserted for the sake of clarity for the reader. Now, I personally wouldn't put the word allegiance in there because it doesn't, in my opinion anyway, it doesn't really clarify anything. Rather, it sounds like it would support the false notion uh, that nobody's going to hell, but that everyone is going to end up in heaven, uh, which is what uh, you know guys like Rob Bell are saying you know these days. You, you might have heard of Rob Bell's newest book in which he's promoting what's called universalism. That's the idea that nobody's going to hell everybody's going to heaven. And I think Paul's done a nice job of clarifying the thought that God was expressing through Isaiah through Paul's paraphrase here. Paraphrasing it as saying, every tongue shall give praise to God. Uh, Remember that the Holy Spirit who breathed the inspiration for the oath that's given here through Isaiah is the same Holy Spirit who's breathing inspiration and understanding through the pen of Paul. Giving praise to God is certainly not the same thing as swearing allegiance to God. Allegiance gives uh, the implication of joining together with. Allegiance is defined on dictionary.com as, quote, the loyalty of a citizen to his or her government or of a subject to his or her sovereign. Uh, Those who have refused God's grace and who have refused to trust in Jesus for their salvation will certainly not be loyal to God because to be loyal to God is a conscious decision. But those who are eternally cut off from God's mercy will be weeping and gnashing their teeth at God for all of eternity. No, there's no loyalty there. There's no allegiance there. So all this is to say that maybe the NASB translators shouldn't have added the word allegiance to Isaiah chapter 45 verse 23. But the question that we have to ask ourselves at this point is why would Paul be quoting this passage from Isaiah? Well, we can be sure that he believes that God's promise from Isaiah chapter 45 verse 23 applies to the promise of Christ's bema judgment of the saints. Let's look at what God has promised here. First of all, God starts off this oath by saying, as I live, that's how Paul's paraphrased it here in Romans chapter 14 verse 11, or uh, from Isaiah, he says, I have sworn by myself. So God has sworn by himself here. He makes the promise because its fulfillment is something that only he is capable of carrying out. You see, God never wants us to be halfway sure about his promises. Isn't that awesome? He never wants us to be unsure of his promises. When he promises something, it's not because he needs to do it necessarily. Rather, he makes these promises. He gives an oath to assure us that he'll do what he's promised to do. He wants us to rest in him. Uh, 
And in order for us to do that, in order for us to completely do that, we have to feel certain that he's going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. So anyone who says, you know, I hope God follows through on this promise, or I wish God would follow through on that promise, maybe they just don't really understand the certainty of God's promises. When God made a covenant with Abraham, for example, it was completely unconditional. It wasn't like God said, you know, Abraham, I'm going to do this if you'll do that. So we're working together here. My actions are contingent on yours. No, when God made his covenant with Abraham, it was completely unconditional. In Genesis chapter 15, God promised Abraham, first of all, that Abraham can stop trying to take care of business on his own by trying to find an heir since Abraham was old and childless. And God reassures Abraham of the promise of offspring. And then he takes Abraham outside and he tells Abraham to look at the sky and he says, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. That's from Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. Now notice here, notice that God said, descendants, so shall your descendants be, which is completely different from heirs. Then we read, then he, that is Abraham, then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him, that is God reckoned it to Abraham, as righteousness. And he said to him, that is God said to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to possess it. That's from verses 6 and 7 here in Genesis chapter 15. So this is a different promise. Abraham believed that God would give him offspring, and God counted it to him as righteousness, but now God is promising him land. He's promising Abraham and his descendants land. And what does Abraham do? He pops the million-dollar question. He says, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? That's from verse 8. In other words, Abraham is asking, how can I be sure that I can trust in your promises, God? What kind of assurance can I have that I can trust in what you're telling me here? Now, I don't think that Abraham is sinning in this case. I think that he wants to believe what God is promising. So Abraham's question really isn't all that different from the man who brought his demon-possessed son to Jesus. And Jesus says, hey guys, I can heal this child because anything is possible to the person who believes. And what does the boy's father say? I do believe. Help my unbelief. That's from Mark chapter 9, verses 17 to 24. So Abraham is basically saying the same thing. I do believe, but help my unbelief. And so God instructs Abraham to bring him a heifer. And God gives an oath over the severed beast. Now notice that Abraham had nothing at all to do with this oath. A sinful, depraved man whose mind could change like the direction of the wind couldn't keep an oath with an unchanging God. And so God demonstrates in this story that the fulfillment of this oath is something that only he is capable of doing. And as we search the pages of Scripture, we search the pages of the Bible, we see that God repeatedly makes oaths, promises, and covenants, and vows based solely on his own unchanging, all-knowing character. He makes a covenant with Noah saying, I establish my covenant with you and your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you. And he goes on to say, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. That's from Genesis chapter 9, verses 9 through 11. Now, every skeptic, every 
atheist, every God-hating soul in existence should be thankful for this passage because it guarantees them the right to disagree with God. It guarantees them the right to continue hating God while they're alive. Again, God's promise in this oath has nothing to do with humanity. There's nothing that humanity can do to add or to take away from this promise. There's nothing that we can do to change God's mind or to play a role in God's fulfillment of it. The oath is God's alone and it's unconditional. Hundreds and hundreds of years later, God tells Moses why he had chosen Israel as his own people to make a covenant with, saying, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples that are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love upon you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath which he swore to your fathers. That's from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. So here's the one thing that can give us assurance when we're confronted with these promises. God made those promises, and God doesn't change his mind. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29, we read, the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Why did God swear by himself in this passage here in Isaiah, or here in Romans chapter 4 verse 11? For the same reason that he swore by himself with Abraham. The author of Hebrews sums it up nicely. He says, for when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And so, having patiently waited, he, that is Abraham, obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God, desiring even more, to show the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. That's from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 to 19. And so the point that Paul's trying to make here is the fact that we will all stand before God someday. You can count on it. The fact that every knee will bow and every tongue will give praise to God is as sure, Paul's telling us, it's as sure as God's very existence. The degree of assuredness that we can have that every knee will bow and every tongue will give praise to God is the same degree of assuredness we can have that God is real and living. So if it's true that God exists, and it is, then it's also true that every knee will bow and every tongue will give praise to God. The point that Paul is continuing to make here is that if God has accepted someone, we're compelled to do the same. The passage from Isaiah had been in reference to the day when all peoples and all nations, including Gentiles, would bow before God. God's promise to Abraham was that all nations and people groups around the world would be blessed because of the promise that God had made with Abraham. 
The Jews, however, had a different understanding of exactly what that meant. And as a result, they resisted accepting the Gentiles, despite the fact that God had accepted them. The entire purpose of the book of Galatians being written was because there were some Judaizers who didn't want to accept the Gentiles and who wanted the Gentiles to conform to the traditions of the Jews in order to be accepted. See, God had accepted the Gentile Galatians, but this group of Judaizers hadn't. We have to be careful not to fall into the same trap, the same mindset when it comes to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul's desire here in the 14th chapter and God's desire is that we, as recipients of God's amazing grace, live lives that are driven by grace rather than driven by guilt. Driven by grace rather than driven by guilt. We should be quick to love but slow to anger with others. It's okay to challenge the opinions of others, and it's okay to confront outright error. Acceptance doesn't mean ignoring sin or accepting error. Rather, it just means that grace and love for God and love for truth and love for our fellow followers of Jesus should guide and prevail in our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. A commitment to being driven by grace rather than being driven by guilt means that I can't reject what God has already accepted. If we trust in God, we can trust that each person will have to stand before him someday to give an account for their lives. We don't have to give an account for the lives of others. We're not responsible for the decisions that other people make. We're only responsible for ourselves, and we too will have to give an account for our lives. So may our lives, may our testimony before the Lord at the beam of judgment be characterized by faithfulness toward God and grace toward those whom God has accepted. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you today, and we know, Lord, that we never could have deserved your grace. Lord, all we deserve is guilt All we deserve is shame because, Lord, in our natural state, we know, we know, God, that we never would have chosen you and we would have remained in our guilt. But, God, you reached down and you cleaned us off anyway. You showed us your love and you showed us your mercy. You gave us your grace. God, I just pray that today we would be driven by that grace, not by guilt, but by grace and that we would be good stewards of the grace that you've given us. May your grace completely permeate our lives, our relationships with others who don't know you, in order that they may see and wonder what this grace of God is all about. Holy Spirit, strengthen us and convict us in order that we may walk more closely with you and be better stewards of the grace that we've been given. Give us unity with one another, Lord. We love you. We thank you that you have called us your children. We thank you that you have accepted us. In Jesus' name, amen. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us, and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, 
and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today, and keep growing closer to Jesus. Glory to the